You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, and our production assistant, Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm so glad to be back on the air. We've been off for a couple of weeks, but I really hope you took the time over the holidays to rest up get well, and really make this 2019 your year because we're going to kill it. With our guests coming up, I'm so excited about our lineup of guests and we're starting off the year just brilliantly with Lacey Dunn. But I'm so pumped about all the guests that we've got lined up for you for the show. We're really going to make our mark this year, everyone. And thank you for joining us on our journey because it really has been a great one. Unfortunately, um, Alex can't be on the air with us. He's got a cold, so he's uh, not up to speed with his voice. So we will persevere without him, but uh, on behalf of Daniel and uh, Alex, they do too wish you a very happy new year. Our today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. You can uh, follow us and reach us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. You can also email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. And um, thank you for all the questions that we received today about our show. We will try to get to as many of them as possible. There's still time for you to uh, get us on our social sites if you want to message us on those, or you can call in. So whatever you feel, if you want to talk to myself or Lacey, please do feel free to call in. Also, please subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on Radio Maria's website, which is www.radiomaria.ca. And on my website, kathybiasse.com. And if you like what you hear, give us a follow, leave us a kind comment. It's always great uh, to promote our show because the guests that we have are just outstanding. Our last show before Christmas, The Psychology of Gift Giving with Professor Meg Malloy, is up and ready for you to listen to. Um, That had uh, some some interesting uh, information, and it was a fun show to do. And I hope you had the chance uh, over the holiday to listen to our show with Leora Eisen, the creator of that great documentary, Food for Thought, for the CBC. And hopefully you actually got to uh, watch that documentary this past Sunday on the nature of things. It was hosted by David Suzuki. It really was a great documentary, and I'm sure that you could probably go back on the CBC's website and find it. And um, a lot of the information that really aligns with my thoughts and actually really ties in in many respects with our show today uh, with uh, Lacey on busting nutritional myths. 
But before we meet the lovely Lacey, let's talk to you about New Year's resolutions. Every New Year, people often take um, initiatives to try and improve their health, to try and, you know, just other things, other goals. But um, sadly, it's been estimated that about one third of all our New Year's resolutions don't make it past the end of January. And that is a significant number of fails. So what I thought I'd do, and I actually wrote about it in a recent blog of mine, is to give you some tips to help you make your 2019 goals a reality. So here we go. First and foremost, make sure that you really want to achieve these goals. You know, with trends going on there, especially diet trends like we'll be talking about today, Oftentimes we think we should do things because it seems like the right thing to do. And that just is not enough motivation. You want to take on a goal and we'll, we'll sort of talk about it within the health sphere, but you want to take on a goal because you really want to achieve this goal. So if you don't like dandelion coffee, then don't switch to dandelion coffee. You know, there are other ways to improve your health. Really focus on things that you want to do, because as I said, if you do not want to do them, you will not do them. You will not be successful. You need to be fully invested into your resolution. The next thing that uh, you want to do, and believe me, these aren't all of the tips that we could go into, but these are the ones that um, I find are useful. These are the ones that work for me. And as you know, I try and give you things from a personal perspective, things that have worked for me. So the next one is to make sure that your goals are realistic. So we have, for instance, Lacey, who is a bodybuilder on the show today. Uh, Believe me, she didn't accomplish this overnight. So things like uh, I've heard people saying, well, this year I'm going to run a marathon and, you know, I'm going to bodybuild or whatever. But if you actually don't even own a pair of running shoes right now, maybe you want to step back a bit and you want to try and take these goals a little bit more realistically. Great to have that big goal in the future, but make sure that you are taking you've got some sort of subset goals in order to get to that level. Anything is doable. We just have to make it realistic. So seriously, don't aim for that marathon if you've got no running shoes. Small steps are the actual way to go. Another very important thing, and um, this is something that I started doing last year. We did a show on this, I think, and I actually started doing this, is writing down your goals. There was a study done by Dr. Gail Matthews, and she's a psychology professor at the Dominican University in California. And she found out that you were about 42% more likely to achieve your goals just by writing them down regularly. And this really, I think the underlying premise here is that you take ownership of this. So if you tell people this is what you're doing and you write this down and it's on your fridge and you're constantly looking at it, it's not just something that's sort of um, in your mind. It becomes a reality. So we're translating this from a thought to a reality and writing it down really does make a difference. And finally, make a plan. Create action steps that will keep you on your path to achieving your goal. So for instance, if your New Year's uh, resolution is to meal plan, for weekly dinners, which is a great resolution to have because we want you in the kitchen. Perhaps three steps, three actionable steps that you could take would be to pick simple, tasty recipes on a Saturday night, shop for your weekly ingredients on a Sunday, and wash and prep things when you get home from shopping. This just sets you up again for success during the week. 
many of us, once we hit Monday, uh, things that we hope to do, and I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a real, I'm a victim of this myself. I, I race home at the end of the day and try and figure out what to put on the table. So meal planning is something that I personally would like to. So there's my dedication and, and uh, my announcement to you. Meal planning is something that I would really like to um, start to do a little bit more realistically. It really does sell time management. But anyways, if it's not meal planning, no matter what it is, pick simple steps, pick actionable steps that you can do right away and start taking them. You can achieve anything if you really want to. And with these actionable steps, you can keep changing them. So you take, you set a a certain set of steps that you want to do, and then you accomplish those. Then you keep writing them down and changing them. So although you've got the goal in the future, you've got these actionable steps that will really take you on your way to achieving them. And good luck, everybody. Good luck with your goals and love to hear about them and love to hear about your accomplishments. So on to our guest today. Our guest is Lacey Dunn, and uh, I met Lacey a few months ago. I did her podcast, and I love her. Uh, She's enthusiastic. She's bright. She's got it all together. Lacey Dunn is breaking the mold in the dietitian world as a fitness professional, bodybuilder, and registered dietitian. As a social media influencer and online coach, she has expanded her reach with a mission of educating the public on evidence-based nutrition and promotes a healthy, sustainable lifestyle through flexible dieting. She believes that there is no one-size-fits-all approach and that self-efficacy in food choice is a driving force for fostering healthy habits and encouraging behavioral change. Lacey is the owner of a thriving online coaching platform, Uplift Fit Nutrition, as well as host and founder of Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. She balanced a dietetic internship, master's degree courses, podcasting, and full-time online career before obtaining her RD and doesn't plan on slowing down anytime soon in 2019. Lacey's goal as a dietitian is to provide the tools that people need in order to achieve a healthy and balanced diet while simultaneously helping them to grow and thrive in all aspects of their lives. She is currently in the process of writing her own book on metabolic mastery and plans to continue to be a driving force of change to promote the scientific truths in the world of fitness and nutrition. Fantastic guest to start 2019. Our learning points are, what are common diet myths that must be busted? What is the best diet to follow, if any? And what do we need to understand about correlation versus causation in assessing nutritional science? And if we get time, because we've had so much interest in Lacey's bodybuilding career and her techniques, we will get to all those questions on that as well. So everybody, we will return in a few minutes. Anytime a heart turns from darkness to light Anytime temptation comes and someone stands to fight Anytime somebody lives to serve and not be served I know, I know, I know, I know Sets men free 
Anytime the choice is made to stand upon the word, I know, I know, I know, I know. stirs a searching soul and someone says send me here I go I know I know Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Again, today our show is live. Music's on point. As always, it was great. Our number is 416-245-1534. And you can still send in your questions, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at the Health Hub RMC, or email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. Lacey Dunn, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's such an honor to be on this podcast. I know we've spoken before, and I'm just so thankful that we have connected. You're just an excellent human being. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lacey. Well, I tell you, can't stick off or start off 2019 with every anything better than you and what you profess. And you are not just a pretty face. You've got a lot behind that great body and that <laughs> face of yours. So tell us how you got on this path, because you're all about the health in every aspect of life. Oh, well, thank you. So I actually, I didn't get started into weightlifting and the nutrition world until my first year of college. I was, I had to weight train and learn to build muscle in order to make the University of Central Florida Division One cheerleading team. Previously, I was a tiny little six, still am a tiny human, but <laughs> I needed to learn how to gain weight, how to gain muscle in order to make the team. So I started weight training. I did a bunch of research online and utilized things like bodybuilding.com, articles, um, textbooks, and I learned to weight train and I learned about nutrition and I was able to build muscle and I made the University of Central Florida cheerleading team. Well, 
once I made the team, it was kind of like I fell more in love with weight training than I did with cheerleading. And then I started diving more into the literature of how you can change your body, change your health with nutrition. But the driving force factor for shifting into the career of nutrition was when my grandma was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, as soon as she was diagnosed, I was like, you know, there's something I can do with nutrition. There's got to be something I can do to help her. So I just dove into the literature looking into preventative care for both her and my family, myself, as well as things I could help her with in order to help with um, her chemotherapy and radiation. And I was just blown away. The more I looked at data, the more I looked into the literature, I was like, oh, my gosh, nutrition literally has the driving force for changing someone, someone's overall health. And from there, I was like, I'm, I'm done with biomedical sciences, which was my previous degree. And I transferred over to nutrition, um, transferred schools. And since then, it's just been nutrition is my passion. I am a firm believer in eating a healthy diet to not only help you, you know, reach your physique goals, but in order to thrive in your day-to-day life. Well, the, the problem is, and I think you address this in a lot of your posts, is it's confusing out there. Now, kudos to you for going online and and, and getting started with the the weight training and then being diverted into the nutrition field because of it. But what I find out there, and perhaps you can expound on this, is that there's so many tips, there's so many pseudoscientific things out there that it's very confusing for people. And it seems like we are falling down this deep, dark hole of dieting. So what what is your view on that? Yeah, I'm very lucky to where when I first started, there was less of that. There was less of um, people just throwing out their opinions just because they think that they know what they're talking about. <laughs> but the problem is these days that any single person on the internet can just put up their thoughts or their opinions. And then what journalism does is they take wind of anything that's like new, noteworthy, or, you know, that's kind of like sparkling and sounds cool. And they take wind of that. And then it just explodes everywhere that, you know, like apple cider vinegar will cause you to lose weight or keto is the way to go for fat loss. And it's, it's an issue, but it's all about finding people who are credible and reputable in regards to what they know and their knowledge. And the struggle these days, too, is now even people who seem credible and um, seem reliable, they can actually be complete quacks. And it it really does take looking at research and understanding research. So I'm glad that's, you know, a a different part of the segment that we're going to talk about today. Well, the thing, too, is that there can be modicums of truths within some of these things. You know, like apple cider vinegar can be good for you, but it's not the cure-all. Or, you know, coconut oil has its place, but it's not the cure-all. So do you do the research for people or do you think people should understand how to read the science or, you know, the flip side of it, Lacey is why are we so concerned about these day-to-day diets? You know, is there a better way to approach our eating? So if you address the first one, yes, I definitely think people need 
to learn how to do research for themselves, but I understand sometimes that's not going to work for people and they have a busy life. So I personally do like to do the research for my clients and for, you know, general um, general public. I do like to try and put out on social media things I find, whether that's little tweets or little posts on like Instagram or posts in my client um, Facebook group. I do like to do the research for others. Um, and then to address your other points, um, I just blanked for a second. So in regards to these all, all these little things that people hear that, you know, changing one thing can greatly affect their weight loss or something, what we have to keep in mind is that, yes, maybe changing something small like taking um, apple cider vinegar may help with something like your digestion, your insulin sensitivity, little things can potentially add up, but we lose the big picture when we think of all these little tiny adjustments. So really, just doing some tiny little change might might change 0.1% of your progress. So it's really important to keep in mind that what truly matters is not a simple little quick fix. What matters is forming sustainable, healthy habits that can create a lifestyle that you can continue for the rest of your life, and that way you have sustainable results. People are always after these quick fixes, something that looks shiny and sparkly and easy for them to do, and that's the problem. What we need to understand is forming healthy habits is hard, and, you know, uh, people don't want to hear it, but that is the truth, but once you get into forming healthy habits, whether that be meal prepping, forming a workout routine, understanding what is in the food that you eat, once you know that, you can't take that knowledge away. You will have that knowledge with you for the rest of your life, and once you form healthy habits, then it's cake. It is easy for you to stay on point. It's just, it becomes part of your day-to-day life. There's so many different ways I want to go with this. Um, But I think what I want to get back to first is understanding the scientific research. Can you give us a few pointers on what to look for when we're looking at research? You know, things like who's running the study, other things like correlation versus causation. Can you kind of take us through a simple, a simple few steps that we can start off with when we're aiming to get some good research? Yes. So the first thing I want to make sure people understand is that correlation does not equal causation. So correlation, um, when we say correlation, we essentially mean that one thing is correlated with another, meaning if, um, you know, if sleep increases, then um, your energy increases. So that's what I mean by correlation. By causation, I mean cause and effect. So one thing causes another thing. So because the chicken laid the egg, there is an egg. I know that's a really random um, way to think about it, but just so people know, just because something is correlated does not mean that it is the causative factor of something. So I don't know if anybody has seen, um, there's a meme that goes around and it shows like a graph of total numbers, total number of movies that Nicolas Cage has been in and it goes up and down with the number of people who drown in a swimming pool. Yes, they are completely correlated on this graph, but that does not mean 
that Nicolas Cage is the causative factor of people drowning in swimming pools because he was in a movie. So I want to just to recognize perfect. that because that, that, that makes sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. okay. So in, in regards to research studies, what a lot of research does is it, it twists correlation and causation um, because it can and the abstract and people like to just read the abstract. So to keep in mind for my listeners, you cannot just read an abstract. And I know that's hard. I know that's tough. But um, the magic is in the method of a research study. So it really takes reading the research in order to understand the research. Um, things to keep in mind when you're looking at research is, one, cell and animal studies don't indicate that there's going to be the same reaction in humans. So a lot of people look at a rat study and say, oh, my gosh, this, this rat study says something about the gut microbiome. Keep in mind, that is the rat gut microbiome, not a human's gut microbiome, which are completely different. Um, another thing, specific population research doesn't apply to all populations. So there's a lot of research in regards to diabetics that does not apply to non-diabetics. There's a lot of research in training and in physical activity that looks at older populations or in men specifically. That does not apply to females all the time, and it specifically does not apply to new lifters. So when you're looking at research in regards to working out, a new lifter is not going to be the same as an um, older lifter, somebody who has more experience. Keep in mind population matters. Sample size. Sample size truly, truly matters because the, small, the smaller there's there is of a sample, the less validity that there is, meaning potentially less credible. Another thing is in regards to very, very large sample sizes, what can happen is this increases the p-value, which the p-value is a marker of statistical significance, meaning that um, essentially they like to say that this is what um, makes the not the, the marker that we're looking at significant in clinical aspects, but it just means that it's not, um, it didn't be created by chance. So the larger the sample size is, the more we can say, hey, there maybe this isn't because of a large chance. Um, another thing to keep in mind would be epidemiological studies and observational studies cannot determine cause and effect. So for my listeners, the biggest and the best way to see if a study is valid and credible is looking at randomized controlled clinical trials. This is a gold standard. Okay. So something to keep in mind there. And then you also have to look at the sample size. You have to look at the funding because a lot of people don't know, but a lot of research can be funded by pharmaceutical companies, by big pharma by food companies, um, by supplement companies. So I know there's, there's a few, like, supplement studies that will be funded by, like, say, um, supplement company X, and it's on something like CLA. And obviously, they can twist their p-value. They can twist their methods. They can pick and choose and what's called cherry-pick their data to make it look like, their supplement is going to actually get you to the goal that you want to get to. It's, it's kind of disgusting, but the way they can do that, it's called data mining. Mm -hmm. 
but that's something that a lot of um, studies do. Another thing to um, keep in mind is confounding exists, meaning another variable may be influencing the results of a study and skew it. So, um, and a, a lot of observational studies, what tends to happen is say that they're looking at two different populations and there's one population that um, has less heart disease than another. Well, the one population that has less heart disease than the other, it may not be what they're eating. It may actually be the fact that they have a lot more money to put into their health to eat healthier and to take care of themselves than it really is about diet. So there's a lot of factors that can be affected in regards to really any study. So understanding confounding is very, very important when looking at research. Um, another thing, I'll, I'll do the la this last one, just so I know I don't want to go over time, but um, be careful when, when you're looking at numbers and percentages. Because, you know, in looking at research studies, some things would say, in, specifically in regards to an abstract, a threefold increase. Well, this can mean maybe the difference was 30 pounds versus 10 pounds in regards to the difference in body weight, or it could be a third of a pound versus 0.1 of a pound in regards to fat loss. And that really isn't even that much significant. And, and you know what? It could be even 0.003 versus 0.001, and that means absolutely really nothing. So now we've got people afraid to look at research <laughs> because this is an oh, education <laughs> in and of itself because it is, it's very hard. And, you know, I fiddle around with it and try and, and look at research too. But you really do have to know what you're, you're, you're doing and getting back to what you said initially, you have to find somebody that you trust. So when we get back from our break, uh, Lacey, we're going to get into actual some diets out there and get your opinions on them. And then if we have some time, we're going to get into the bodybuilding aspect because we have a lot of questions about that. Okay, we'll be back in a few minutes. Staring at a stop sign, watching people drive by, T-Mac on the radio. So much on your mind, nothing's really going right. Looking for a ray of hope.
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Lacey Dunn from Uplift Fit Nutrition, and we're going to get uh, into some common myths that Lacey runs across in her practice and uh, really get into some of the, the down and dirties that she's come across. So, Lacey, you must come across a lot of things out there in the diet world. What are the most common myths that you come across that really burn your bridges? Oh my gosh, the limit does not exist on the questions and the myths that I get. Um, but there, there are a couple that are very common that I absolutely despise. And number one would probably be people coming to me asking me, is ketogenic dieting, is it better for weight loss? And does, by eating more fat, does that allow me to burn more fat? And the thing to remember in regards to keto is, yes, eating, you know, eating ketogenic, decreasing your carbs, getting in ketosis, eating more fat, that does mean your body is going to burn more fat, but it's going to rely on fat oxidation, meaning your body is going to utilize fat for energy. Fat oxidation, though, does not mean fat loss. It does not mean you're going to lose more weight because you are burning fat for energy. And that is the issue in regards to ketogenic dieting. What truly matters is the um, caloric deficit. So when we look at different studies in regards to weight loss, everything that has to be kept in mind is the overall calories that someone is eating per day. Another thing I want to bring up is people who want to go vegan. (laughs) The problem with vegan is that a lot of people think it is so much more healthier to eat vegan than it is to eat meat. Keep in mind, people, that meat has so many vitamins and minerals, specifically iron, that is very important for us to have in our daily diet. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that vegans can vegan dieting can be done extremely wrong. There was a specific study that showed that the way you eat in regards to vegan or vegetarian, can actually be more detrimental on your heart and cause heart disease versus eating red meat. So in, in regards to eating vegan, it's very important that you're getting um, whole food sources of those plant proteins. So not running to those fake meat products that are very pre- prevalent these days. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I see a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, is people saying gluten is bad for you and makes you fat. So people assuming that taking away gluten is going to help with their weight loss. And they're always like, gluten is a bad carb. And I'm like, "Um, gluten is not a carb. Uh, Gluten is a protein that is found in wheat. And yes, it is bad for you if you have a disease called celiac disease in which the body attacks itself with um, when you ingest it, and this can cause harm in regards to intestinal permeability as well as create autoimmune disease. Um, however, you know, if you do not have a susceptibility 
to gluten. If you do not have an autoimmune destruction in your intestine, then there's nothing wrong with having gluten in your diet. Gluten-containing products actually can have more vitamins and minerals and fiber, and they can have less calories and carbs than gluten-free products. And that's what I see a lot of people do is they get scared of gluten and they run towards gluten-free products. Well, if you sit, if you go to the grocery store in the supermarket and you take a gluten-containing whole wheat pasta and you put it right next to a gluten-free pasta, nine times out of ten, that gluten-free pasta is going to normally have at least 10 to 20 grams more carbohydrates than the counterpart with the gluten. Um, and people just, they don't keep that in mind. So gluten is what I see a lot. Um, another typical thing that I hear from people is that um, eating protein, too much protein is bad for your kidneys. And I see this in regards to bodybuilding specifically and people who are wanting to gain muscle. They're like, oh my gosh, it's eating more or protein going to be bad for my kidneys and bad for my health. No, too much protein is only bad for your kidneys if you have kidney damage or kidney disease. If you are a normal, healthy person, it has been proven that eating up to 3.4 grams per kilogram of body weight in bodybuilders or really anybody who is a general healthy person is not going to have detrimental effects on your kidney function. Well, what seems to be coming out in the myths that you seem to be talking about here is our focus on specific macros or specific nutrients. And this yes. play has garnered a lot of money for individuals and food corporations that take these, um, you might want to call them twisted studies and run with them. I mean, there are sections in the, the grocery store for gluten that uh, an aisle long. Um, so then how do you, in your opinion, approach healthy eating? Because I think we're so far away from center that people actually have to have their brains rewired for what healthy eating really is. So what, in your opinion, is healthy eating? To me, healthy eating is, and being healthy is more than just what is put into your mouth. So something I do want to, you know, establish is eating healthy and picking um, the way that you eat. It's got to be something that is going to add to your daily life and it's not going to take away. So if the way that you are choosing to eat adds too much stress to your life, then it is not the right way to eat for you. Um, healthy eating should be about increasing the amount of fruit and vegetables and whole grains and um, lean meats in your diet. So healthy eating should be about adding to your life and not taking away from it. But restrictive properties that are unnecessary, restricting, restricting things that you don't need to restrict because it's like a medical condition, then there's an issue. So the way that you eat should be about increasing value to your daily diet and your daily life and not taking away from it. The way that you eat should be something that you can you can see yourself following for the rest of your life. And that's what is called sustainable eating and finding a sustainable lifestyle. So say that you are you want to lose weight and you see ketogenic diets, vegan diets, 
You see limiting grains. You see um, go the carnivore diet, which is absolutely absurd. Um, but you see all these things. If you see a diet and, and you think, can I follow this for at least three months? Can I follow this for six months? Can I follow this for two years? The thing that you can say that I can follow this for two years plus is the diet that is the most sustainable for you. Is it intuitive, Lacey? I think dieting can be intuitive, but the problem with intuitive eating these days is that um, as we grow up, we are told so many lies. We are told so many things from social media to the magazines that we need to look like this. We need to eat this certain way. Um, we, this is the, the portion that we should have that actually eating intuitively is a very, very hard process. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's not really intuitive. It's more like we're shown all these different ways that we should eat, and we really actually have to break through those and break the mold and figure out things for ourselves. Well, this might lead us into a bunch of questions that we've got about your bodybuilding and your weightlifting and so forth. But um, let's start us off this way when we get into these. I have eight questions here that I'm going to try and get to if we have time. People are very interested in um, your body structure, on how you got there. So I want to start off with asking, when you're training, or people in general, if there's a goal set, a short-term goal, six months, a year, which is, is fairly short within within dieting, I, I think. Um, do you find that is it is acceptable to change your diet to obtain the goal and then change your diet again? Is that possible? Is it acceptable? Yes. So in regards to reaching a physique goal, um, what you have to manipulate is your um, caloric expenditure and how much that you're eating. So if you want to gain muscle, you pretty much have to be in a caloric surplus. You have to be eating more in order to gain that size. If you want to lose weight, you have to be in a caloric deficit. So you have to be eating enough to put you into weight loss. Um, and then that involves changing the amount of fats and the carbohydrates and the protein that you eat. So that is typically normal. But in regards to um, adjusting like your general diet, the number of fruits and vegetables that you eat, uh, that should never that should never change. You should always always be striving to eat your vegetables and your fruits. And um, in regards to specific physique goals what a lot of people, they, they make the um, mistake of taking away carbohydrates for a fat loss goal. And they put themselves in what I call is kind of like a limbo. So a lot of people, they go way too low carb, not yet into ketosis around like, and that's below 130 grams. And then they're just in the, the state limbo to where their brain doesn't know what to do for fuel because they're not in ketosis. They don't have enough carbohydrates for their brain. So that is a common thing that I see in regards to people, the mistake people make with fat loss and going lower carb approach. But it doesn't take that long to flip. If you are going full on keto, um, it doesn't take that long to flip over to ketosis, does it? It takes at least two weeks. There's There are ways that you can bump up ketosis and get into ketosis faster, but 
for the most part, it does take a period of time, and then it gives you what is called the keto flu. Okay, and to be clear, this is not something that you're promoting within uh, your clientele. Oh no, no, no! Okay. No, I don't. I don't promote keto. Okay. I highly promote um, a diet that's going to best fit somebody's lifestyle. So if if they can, if that's something that they can see themselves doing, and something that they enjoy, and it's something that we can incorporate all the aspects of their daily diet they, that they need in order to thrive, then cool, that's fine. But for the most part, people people love carbohydrates. Our bodies prefer glucose as fuel. So for the most part, I am I like to call myself a carb-loving dietitian. Good. Okay. I like that, actually. Um, okay. So let's get in. I think we may need to do a whole show on your training and your bodybuilding because that's where a lot of the questions have come <laughs> from. But um, uh, number one, what eating patterns do you follow when you're training for a competition? And I'm not sure if you are still actively competing, so you can clarify that. Um, what patterns do you follow and how far is this away from your regular everyday diet? Okay, so I follow what's called flexible dieting, and I track macronutrients. So I track my carbs, my proteins, and my fats. Um, and that does not change. I'm personally not competing right now, but I always personally track my macronutrients, whether that be off-season or in-season. The only thing that changes personally for me in regards to competing really is my carbs, and my fat intake. So if I am getting down to the wire in regards to a show, then I'll decrease my carbs, I'll decrease my fat, and I might increase my cardio. And that's also the same thing happens in regards to my own clients. It's all about putting you in a caloric deficit. Um, and then when I get back to building, I get those. I get that food right back up. I get my fats up. I get my carbs up. And of course, there's different amounts that I have, and I adjust that because everybody's going to be different. Uh, but in general, I follow flexible dieting 100% of the time, focusing on eating nutrient dense foods. And then, of course, I follow the 80 20, 80 20 rule. So 80% of my foods are whole, um, unprocessed, and then 20 of my foods are fun foods. Good. I think you need the balance too. So um, just this is my own question. I'll just throw that in here. When you are working with clients, when you're working with yourself, are you maintaining um, a ratio of fats, carbs, and proteins that's the same for everybody? Or do you change that up with each individual person you're working with? 100% change it up and I don't follow any ratios. I always stick with body weight for protein. And then I normally I start with fat and then I look at carbohydrates after I figure out what I want, what their goal is, what their previous diet history is, everything is always individualized. Okay. Um, next question for a newcomer to bodybuilding, uh, especially now your type of bodybuilding is bikini bodybuilding. Is that what it's called? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So, well, I'm going to assume that they're interested in what your, your type of bodybuilding. How long does it take? So let's go from, I don't know where this person's starting from. So let's go from couch potato to competing. So the thing to keep in mind for people is that in order to do a bodybuilding show, and even in bikini bodybuilding where there's less muscle, you do have to have that muscle base. And that requires building. And building takes time. So I like to say, if you are going to step on stage, have at least one full year of lifting weights, gaining muscle, 
and then you can do a show. A lot of people think, oh, my gosh, I just started weight training, and I want to do a show in three months. That's not how it works. You're just going to go on that stage, and that has the muscle base that you need in order to do your best. So I like to say optimize um, a gaining in a surplus period of gaining muscle, and then make sure that you have plenty of time to get to the stage, diet down. That way you aren't throwing off your hormones and your thyroid and reducing your metabolism too much and then get on stage. So overall, that could be like a year to a year and a half. Okay. Um, the next question is, I've heard that competing for shows like this isn't healthy. Can you address this? Yes. So very much so, um, it can be very unhealthy. It's all about how you are prepping and the methods that you are using in regards to your own prep. The problem is a lot of um, what I call a lot of bodybuilding coaches are males that follow very strict and regimented bodybuilding type workouts and nutrition, and it's what's called bro science. So not really any scientific backing to what they're doing. And they go too much in a caloric deficit. They lose weight too fast or drop their calories too low. And this throws off your hormones. It throws off your thyroid, your HPA, your hormonal um, pituitary axis. It can cause you to not only lose um, fat, but you lose an extreme amount of muscle. And this creates a number of issues from hair loss to gut issues to hormone issues, to um, going into adrenal crises. So it's very important to keep in mind that you have to prep in a healthy way. You have to be in the smallest amount of, of a caloric deficit as possible. You have to incorporate things like diet breaks, refeeds. Um, you have to make sure that you are optimizing your day-to-day -day health and not restricting so much. So another thing that people do in the why she thinks she says it's unhealthy is a lot of people steer away from things like fruits that are very, very important for anti-inflammatory purposes. So it's very important when you're looking at doing a show, you're doing a prep, you're doing any fat loss, that you have somebody who's going to hold your hand and be there for you, who's going to help you do it the right way. Is there, um, this is again my question, is there a cap on how old you think somebody should be getting into this um, for the first time? Not at all. I know first-time competitors who are 16 years old all the way to 45 years old. Okay, good to know. Um, and the last question, I think this is going to have to be the last one before we end off here. How long or how often do you work out? Because I see you on Instagram all the time with your great videos, and um, it seems like you're in the gym a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's because I personally, I love being in the gym. And to anybody, find what works for you. If, if, you want, if you have a physical, find what helps you and find what you enjoy. So personally, I go uh, six times a week, and I take one off day. Sometimes I take two off days. really is about listening to your body. How long are you in the gym for when you're there? So my upper body days tend to be an hour and 15 minutes, and then my leg days tend to be two hours, and that's specifically because my warm-up and my cool-down, that takes about 30 minutes in itself, which a lot of people don't know the importance of mobility and warming up and cooling down. But please, guys, take 
care of yourselves and warm up and cool down because if you don't do that, you'll end up like me and then your warm up and cool down is the same exact time period uh, as your actual workout. <laughs> Good tip. Um, now, so tell us about you're writing a book and I want to make sure we get everything out, your social media sites and everything, but um, your book, is that coming uh, this year or is it still a work in progress? Yeah, so I'm very excited. I'm writing a book about metabolic mastery, how to master both your overall health and your hormones and reach your health and physique goals. Um, and it's going to be very much tailored to the overall general population. So I'm hoping to land a publisher sometime later in this year. And I'm really hoping that it can be released sometime in 2020. So I want to give myself plenty of time to really get that book going and have it the best is the best that it can be. Um, I, I know you're a fan of resources. So my goal was to have as many resources in that book as humanly possible. Good for you. That's quite a, that's quite a challenge to take on writing a book. Kudos to you with all you're doing. So I want to thank you, Lacey, for starting off 2019. What a great way to start off. Congratulations for all your success. Uh, Lacey's website is www.upliftfit.org. Instagram, you can follow her on two sites, at Faith and Fit and at Uplift, Uplift Fit Nutrition. And her Twitter site is at Lacey A. Dunn. And Facebook is Faith and Fit Lacey. So uh, you probably didn't have a pen to write all that down. So certainly give us a, a call or you can email me and I can give you all of her sites. But just check out Lacey Dunn. You'll find her everywhere. She's amazing. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.